0: One of the deepest, most basic human desires is to know that we are not alone. The psychiatrist Kurt Thompson says it this way, We're all born into the world looking for someone looking for us. Uh, this past fall, my wife and I were introduced to a survival show called Alone. Anyone? Anyone? Uh, The setup's what you'd expect, like these elite survivalists are dropped in the middle of nowhere, Um, they have to figure out how to survive alone in the wild with only like a handful of items, I think they get 10 items or something, and whoever stays out there the longest wins half a million dollars. If you're familiar with like the rule of threes, you know, you can um, survive three minutes without breathing, three hours in a harsh environment, uh, three days without water, then you can kind of imagine what the first few, like, four or five episodes are like, you throw in some grizzly bears, you got a show, right? Um, But then around episode five or so in the season, things change. You begin to realize that food, water, shelter, that's not what this show is about. This show is about being alone. It is testing their ability to endure the torture of being alone. So six, seven weeks alone, these tough, smart survivalists start coming undone. I mean, you see like these people weeping and confessing and melting down like one after the other, one by one. And whoever can endure that the longest wins. So I'm sitting there watching this with my wife and my theological training kicks in. I can't help it. I'm like, that, that's what hell looks like. I mean, that is the textbook definition of hell. It's about separation. That's what makes hell hell, separation from God and from others. It's the torture of being utterly alone. And conversely, that's what makes heaven heaven. Uh, It's not the streets of gold or the endless pina coladas or whatever you might be imagining. It's being united with God and with others. That's what makes heaven heaven. Now, sure, we all need food, clothing, shelter, But even if we meet all of these needs luxuriously, a person will come undone if they feel like they're utterly alone. In some ways, this is the story of American suburbia, right? We lavishly meet our physical needs while we sit back and watch each other come undone one after the next after the next. So we are all born into the world looking for someone, looking for us, And because this desire is so deep in us, and because we so need to be known by another, for this reason, it's also one of our greatest fears. To be known is to be vulnerable. To be known is to open yourself up to being hurt. Uh, In the words of that great theologian, Adam Levine, If I showed you my flaws, if I couldn't be strong, tell me honestly, Would you love me the same? Skiddly dong, 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 dang. Yeah. This is the dilemma. I have this deep need to be known. I need to be known. I need to share my life with others, but I'm afraid what might happen if you were to know the real me. And so I have this dilemma, like I'm not sure which is worse, the pain of isolation or the pain of rejection. And at Christmas, the gospel writers, they help us name this deep desire, which reveals this great fear. Uh, Matthew, he says, what we're looking for is Emmanuel, God with us. And Mark, he speaks of God himself tearing through the separation between heaven and earth, coming after us. And Luke tells the story of God coming after us in a baby named Jesus. And John, John pulls out this image from the Old Testament, and he says, in Jesus, God took on flesh and he tabernacled with us. So the tabernacle was this tent used to symbolize the presence of God in the Old Testament among his people. Numbers chapter 2, an entire chapter of the Bible, is dedicated to how the Israelites were to camp around this tent as they made their journey to the promised land. That this symbol of God's presence was literally to be in the center of their lives as they traveled to The promised land, that's where God wants to live. In the middle of everything on your journey to the promised land, that's where he wants to be. And John says, that's it. That's what Jesus is. The Christmas message, at least according to John, is, is that if I would just receive him, if I would let down my guard, if I would be vulnerable and receive this gift of Jesus coming after me, wanting to live, join me in the journey. In Jesus, my deep desire is quenched, My deep fear is calmed. I am not alone. He knows everything about me. He will not reject me and never will he leave me or forsake me. That's the promise of Christmas. That's the idea. That's how God is is tabernacling with us, him joining us on our journey, how that's supposed to change us from the inside out. Now, I could close right here. That's the message. But I thought it might be helpful to not just tell you, but to actually show you, to show you what it means for God to tabernacle, to join us on the journey, which brings us to our text for tonight. It's John chapter 4. It's not a very Christmassy story. No wise men, no shepherds. Jesus isn't even a baby in this story. But if you listen in, you will hear a Christmas message. You will hear that the one you are looking for is looking for you. So John chapter 4, here's the setup. Jesus and his disciples, they're down south in Judea, the Jewish region of Judea, and they're going north to the Jewish region of Galilee. And we read in the gospel of John chapter 4, starting in verse 4, now he, Jesus, had to go through Samaria. That between these two Jewish regions was Samaria, which was full of Samaritans. Um, the Jews and the Samaritans had this long-standing disdain for one another for hundreds of years. They just hated each other the Jewish sentiment of Jesus day was popularly um, seen in a common prayer that the Pharisees this group of Jews used to pray weekly they would pray this prayer dear God and it went something like this I don't know the first part it was like dear God thank you for this day thank you for the food you give me uh, please forgive me of my sins and may no Samaritan be raised in the resurrection may none of them make it into heaven amen amen that is hatred, my friends. So he, Jesus, came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus was tired. Uh, Jesus, as tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. So picture it, and they're walking on this ancient road, extremely well-known road that goes from south to north, and it's called the Way of the Patriarchs. It's the same road that like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob would have walked. And it's about noon, and it's reaching the uh, noon, so midday sun, Mediterranean world, hot, dry. This is the time where you, you run to the shade, you, you eat something, and you kind of siesta. You take a nap or something. Jesus stops off at this well that just happens to be the very well that the patriarch Jacob himself dug. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink of water? His disciples had gone into, the town, into town to buy food. So here's the setup Jesus, who's been walking the way of the patriarchs, stops by a well dug by, the, by a patriarch, and a woman walks up. A question What do patriarchs do at wells? Pick up women. I'm not joking. Um, The local well was apparently like the ancient Near Eastern version of Tinder. (laughs) Where did Isaac meet Rebecca? Where did Jacob meet Rachel? Where does Moses meet Zipporah? A well, a well, a well. Now, a while back, um, Jenny and I were at the grocery store, just the two of us. We're in the produce aisle, and uh, I go over to like the arugula or something like that. And just then, this like smoldering Latino man comes up to my wife, holding an avocado and says... And the sexiest way you can say something in the produce aisle, hey, do you know if these avocados are ripe? And He's like squeezing the avocado. My wife is blushing. and I'm like, hey, Rico Suave, I'm standing right here. Drop the avocado and buy them all. That's what this feels like. This woman walks up to this well, and she's asked, can you give me a drink of water? The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For the Jews do not associate with Samaritans. She's like, if you knew who I really am, you'd have nothing to do with me. You wouldn't be talking to me right now. And right now, you've got to just understand how wildly uncomfortable this whole circums- this whole situation is. First, we're standing at Jacob's well, which makes the whole thing feel like a meat market. And then Jesus is talking to a Samaritan woman, which is breaking like every social standard norm they have back then. And then worst of all, the New Testament scholar, Gerard, Gerard Brocher, says it this way, and I'm going to have to quote this to you. It says, the only reason a Jewish man might speak with a non-Jewish woman in public, was to solicit her for things that shall not be mentioned at a Christmas Eve service. (laughs) I added the last part, but you get the idea. So this whole scene is incredibly awkward, and I don't know, um, I don't want to read too much into it, but do do you know what time of day it is? What, What time did they show up? noon about about noon so to this day if you were to go to the like villages in africa where they still go out and get their water at the well and bring it home when do they go when do they go do they go in the heat of the day no they go in the morning in fact this is still in many parts of africa you'll go there you'll see the women from the village go out to the well and bring it back in the morning It's this big social event a few years ago um i went on a mission trip and i was in malawi southern africa and I decide, I'm going to go for a run. You know, first thing in the morning, sounds fun. So I'm going for a jog, and I'm jogging by, and I see the local well, and there's this big group of young women sitting there drawing the, the water from the well. And, um, and as I go by, they all start, like, whistling at me and saying suggestive things, like, hey, baby, you want to run by my place? And um, I was like, wow, this whole thing is biblical. But this woman, she didn't go in the morning. She goes in the heat of the day when no other woman would show up. So is she avoiding the other women? Is she not welcome? Is she not invited? Like, why is she there? noon? the whole thing, something is off. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. She says, if you knew who who you were speaking to, if you knew who I really am, you would have nothing to do with me. And Jesus says, if you knew who I really am, then you'd be asking me questions. And with that, Jesus, like, he turns the whole conversation on his head. Like, she assumes that he's talking about his physical desires, but he points to her deep desires. He points to this thing called living water. Now, living water here could literally be a reference to like flowing water, stream water, fresh water that you drink. But in this arid world, it had become very popular to use as a metaphor for life itself, that thing without which you cannot survive, your very deepest desires. It's what makes you, you. It's the living water. That's why you're alive. That's who you are. But all this seems to slip right past the woman. She says to him, sir, the woman said, says you're looking to the wrong things to satisfy your desires. So get this, the the opposite of living water is not dead water. It's salt water. Isn't it funny that someone could be out in the middle of the ocean, literally floating on trillions of gallons of water and die of thirst? Die of thirst. Salt water, the more you drink it, the more... The thirstier you become, the more you drink it, the thirstier you become. Isn't that like a perfect image of people who try to satisfy their desires with the wrong things? Isn't that an almost perfect picture of our consumeristic world? Are you thirsty? Are you not satisfied? Go to this school, get this job, buy this house, have this experience, marry this person, buy this, buy this, do this. And so we do, we do it, and we, we drink it up, and we do it again and again and again. But the more you drink, the thirstier you become. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. She, she's not getting it. She's still talking about water. But Jesus, he wants to point this out. So he points to her deeper thirst here. Watch what he does. He says, he told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. So she's sitting there thinking, if you really knew who I am, you'd have nothing to do with me. And Jesus stops her and says, I do know everything. I know why you show up to the well at noon. I know why you've gone from man to man to man. I know you're looking for something, for someone, for something to fill that emptiness, to satisfy the thirst. I know what you're looking for. I know that you're looking for someone looking for you. I know everything about you. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. (laughs) Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you... Jews claim that the place we must worship is in Jerusalem. So she, is she asking, like, she asks, she turns and asks this theological question. Is it a sincere theological question or is she just trying to change the subject right now? Can't be quite sure. But it's a good question. The Samaritan said, the presence of God, if you want to do life with God, you got to go to Mount Gerizim. But the Jews said, it's Mount Moriah in Jerusalem. And there's this disagreement that's been raging for a hundred years. And she asks, what's the right answer? Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus says a time is coming and is now come when people won't just meet God in a temple or a tabernacle, but God will go out seeking them. He will go out looking for people. God will go to the most unexpected places after the most unexpected people. He will go after those who are broken and hurting and full of doubt. He will chase down people with a dark past, people that the world has rejected. And by his spirit, he will satisfy their deepest desires. He will calm their deepest fears. He will tabernacle with them. He will join them on their journey and transform the world through them. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. I'm the one you're looking for. I'm the one who is looking for you. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I did. Could this be the Messiah? Her question literally translates this way. He couldn't be the Messiah. Could he? Could he? Could he? Like, could God really come after me? Would God really want me? Like, she's still doubting, processing. There's a lot to process. Even now, meeting Jesus, it's a struggle. Can, can I really trust him? I haven't been able to trust anyone else in my life. Can I be vulnerable again? Do I dare? Can I really believe that Jesus would know everything about me and still choose to come looking for me? This woman comes to the well thinking, if you really knew who I am, You'd have nothing to do with me. And Jesus says, if you really knew who I am, then you'd know that I'm here just for you. You'd know that I would leave everything to come after you. You'd know that I'd give up my very life for you. you know that I know everything and I came for you. So the great surprise of this scene is not that Jesus knows everything about the woman. Of course he does. It's that knowing everything Jesus came after her. That he the, the very God of the universe came to seek her out. This spent shameful woman, this woman that no one else wants, Jesus says, "I want her. I'll come after her." If everyone else avoids her, if she, she doesn't fit in anywhere else, I want her, I choose her. That's the great surprise that Jesus knows exactly who she is. He knows why she's there. She knows why she moves from man to man, why she's there at noon, and he loves her so much that he came to Samaria just to find her. And of course, this message isn't just about the woman at the well, is it? It's about you. This is the surprising message of Christmas. This is the good news for all people. Jesus knows. like He knows everything. He knows what you've done. And he knows what's been done to you. He knows your shame. He knows why you chase after what you chase after. He knows why you drink all that salt water. He knows your protective mechanisms that you put up. He knows your worries and your wounds. And he knows your doubts. He knows And he came here just for you. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. But God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He knew, and he knew that it would cost him his very life, and yet he showed up anyways. And to those who receive him, he promises to tabernacle with them, to join them on their journey, to make sure that they know that they will never be alone, never forsaken, He is God with us, but he won't force himself on us. Love cannot be forced. It can only be received. You see, we are all born into the world looking for someone, looking for us. And on Christmas Eve, if you listen, you can hear Jesus whisper over your deep desires, over your deep fears, I am the one you're looking for. I am the one who's looking for you.